The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning, Church family. We are Barry and Sonia Sawatsky. We'll be reading the scriptures to you today. 2 Kings 18, verses 3 to 7 and 19 to 20. And Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord, he did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. And Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words and strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Second Kings chapter 19, verses 14 to 20. Hezekiah received the threatening letter from the hand of the messengers of the king of Assyria and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of the kingdoms of the earth, and you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Reading God's word to us today. And um, I just want to ask some of you, all of you, if, like me, you have ever had the experience where you trusted someone or trusted some point of view and then realized later on that it was wrong, that you had misplaced your trust. Sometimes that could just end up being a, a funny little story, but sometimes it's really damaging. It damages the relationships we have with others and it damages the relationship we have with God. And that's sort of the context we're looking at when we're in Second Kings chapter 18, chapter 19, where our scripture reading was today. Actually, the chapter before, in 17, verse 15, this is kind of a summary statement of the way things were for Israel and Judah. So at this point in time, the kingdom of God, all the 12 tribes, they have been divided. So there's Israel and there's Judah. And Israel overall has just been evil. Judah still has a remnant of faithfulness. And this is a summary statement. They, Israel, rejected his statutes and his covenant, 
They despised his warnings. They followed the example of the nations around them. They worshiped worthless idols so that they became worthless themselves. Isn't that just a trembling statement? They worshiped worthless idols and they became worthless themselves. And of course, the nations around them, that had impacted them, the gods that other nations had worshipped, they had taken on some of those practices, but there was even the danger within something wonderful that God had done for them that they started worshipping the thing, the activity, rather than the God who had made it happen. And this takes us back to, uh, Barry mentioned the snake Nehushtan. It was a bronze image of a snake up a pole. And the story behind it is that when the people were going through the desert for those 40 years and they were grumbling, remember last week we talked about the importance of gratitude? Well, the, they were just grumbling all the time. Grumbling so much that God was so upset that he sent poisonous snakes among the people to bite them. And they were dying. And God says, I'll provide a way out for you. Make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and anyone who looks at it, they will be healed. That was something that God said. Make this image. If they look and trust on, about me at that statue, they will be healed. So that was an actual thing that took place in history that God ordained. That was his pleasure to do to heal his people. But then that image still remained. That statue still remained. And they started worshiping it rather than God. Instead of that thing reminding about the God who healed them, they started thinking that item did it. Let's just worship it. And so we have to be careful that even in our lives and our stories, the good things that God has done for us, we don't ever end up worshiping a past memory or a past event, but we always remember that that's meant to point me towards God. So I just want to ask you a question right off the bat. Who are we trusting in? Who am I trusting in? And a very humbling question from that is, any of our trust misplaced? Please tell me that you guys don't say no. There's no misplaced trust in my life. <laughs> there is misplaced trust in our life. And we need to ask God to help us to trust him and discern the things that are leading us away from him. Hezekiah was a really good king. His father was a really evil one. His dad's name was Ahaz. He was the most evil king that ever was in Judah. So now here's Hezekiah, and this is how we know him. 2 Kings 18, verse 5 says, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. He was like a second David. He was a man after God's own heart. And the thing that was really characteristic about him was that he trusted God. He was a king of tested trust. If you want to know the true character of a leader... You see who they are when they go through trials, and you don't just look out at the outcome of what they did, but you see who they trusted in it. Was it just them working really hard to make it done? Even if that was successful, it doesn't matter in the eyes of God. Or was it a leader who said, let's humbly go to God. Let's abide with him. Let's obey with him. Whatever the outcome, it's up to God. So today we're going to talk about prayer of trust. And there's three different ways that it can be impacted as we just say, Lord, I need to grow in my trust of you, and these are some of the ways that this can help. First of all, trust and temptation. Hezekiah was severely tested. He was ruling in a day when there was the king of Assyria, and his name was Sennacherib, and he ruled everything. Everywhere he went, he was successful. 
And he taunted all the other nations' gods, and he taunted the God of Israel. And he said about, Dan, uh, he said about Hezekiah in chapter 18, he goes, you are a deceiver of your people if you think that you should lead them to trust God because your God can't do anything against me. I'm always victorious. And then in chapter 19, he changes it from Hezekiah being a deceiver to being deceived. He says, no, no, your God has actually deceived you. If you hear your God saying that, your God is a liar. He can't do that. Verses 19 to 20, we hear these words, and the Rapshika, that was the spokesperson of Shanachrib, said to them, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours that you rebelled against me? So what happened is, so the king of Assyria has taken over everything. Some places he puts them into exile. Almost all of Israel is already gone. They're out of their homes, they're out of their towns, they've been taken away, and he's brought other nations to fill in those homes and those cities. But other places he's just said, well, let's just have you pay tribute to me. And at one point Hezekiah said, no, I'm not going to pay tribute. And uh, he, uh, he later on paid a price for that, and it really made him fearful of the king. And now he's in his spirit, he's got this tension about the fear of man versus the fear of God. That's often a tension in our own lives as well. If you're not fearing God, you're going to be fearing man in some way. Something drives our decisions. And I just want to encourage you today that if the fear that you have in your life doesn't lead you to God, then pray in those moments. Say, Lord, right now I'm anxious about things I shouldn't be anxious about. I've got my thoughts on things that I shouldn't be worried about and I'll let it lead you back to God. Because God doesn't want us to have the fear of man in our heart. We make bad choices when we do. There's a verse that I wouldn't be surprised Hezekiah would have had in his mind, Proverbs 29, verse 25, because Proverbs is the book of wisdom. And I'm sure that he was getting all those sort of things taught him from an early age. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I'm sure that he remembered stories like David and Goliath, right? When King Saul was so scared of this huge man and he was almost paralyzed with fear. And here's David coming as a young man saying, who are you to defy the armies of the living God? Because David realized this wasn't about them, it was about Goliath defying God. And then he had the right courage. He said, I have strength in God, I will face you. I'm sure Hezekiah had those kind of stories in his mind. He also knew the promise of God, that God would not leave his people forsaken, that he had a, a promise from Abraham through David that someday a Messiah would come and be born. I want to ask you a question. When you're under pressure, who do you trust first? Not who do you trust eventually, but who do you trust first? When situations come your way and you're, and you're stuck in a tension, what do you do? Do you reach out to a different friend right away? Do you try to Google a response? Or do you right away say, Lord, I need your help. Son of David, have mercy on me. It's important that we start disciplining ourselves to get our mind onto Christ as soon as we can. And not just hardship, but in our pleasures as well. God wants us to have the joy of abiding with him continually. And that's really the posture of our life. It's humble dependence on God. And the only way that you can know that you're depending on God is that what you're thinking is verified in the scriptures that we read. 
that the scripture is changing your mind about who God is because that's the clearest way that we know the character of God and who we are meant to be in him. And God says, open my word and humbly ask to meet with me and I will meet you. I will be glad to meet you. So if you're having trouble trusting God, remember that we need to pray and obey. We need to resist temptation. So this is, I hope, a a help in your prayer life is that when you are tempted and your thoughts are going anxious, do whatever you can to train yourself to think about God. There's different ways to do that. There's no one way, but do something that's significant for you to help you remember. I used to have an elastic band around my wrist, and at certain times, if my thought life was going wrong, I'd just snap it. Like, get your mind right, Doug. (laughs) And something simple but effective for you. Do that. So now we have Hezekiah. He's in this situation where the king is threatening them, saying, just give up, because I'm going to wreck you. Your God doesn't stand a chance. And he receives a letter from the king that describes what he's going to do. And it's terrifying. It scares him. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. He read it, and then he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Just seeing this little line wouldn't mean much. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, unless you know the history behind what has happened. Because Hezekiah, although overall he was a faithful and trusting king, he did fail. I'm so glad the Bible tells us clearly about people's failings and God's faithfulness. (laughs) When Hezekiah went up to the temple, to the house of God, I'm sure he was thinking of this. Because as he got to the temple, he would have seen the doors of the temple. And he would have remembered that the first time he said, no, I'm not paying you tribute, the rebuff was so strong, he said, sorry, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. What can I do to make things right? And the king of Assyria said, I want you to give me 300 talents of silver, which is about 11 tons, and 30 talents of gold, which is about a ton of gold. And so he went to the temple, he went to the palace, and he stripped it of all the silver he could find. He wanted to get gold and he didn't have enough, so you know what he did? He went to the temple doors and he stripped all the gold off the doors just to get enough so that he could pay the king of Assyria. So now in just this little line, I can imagine that as he gets this letter and he's trembling in the fear of man, he knows enough, I gotta go to the temple of my God. And as he's going, he sees these doors stripped bare and he's reminded about what the fear of man did last time. It did not solve anything. It made it worse. I dishonored my God. I dishonored my people. And now he goes and he opens the door and he spreads this letter before the Lord. Help me. And the first things we hear from his mouth are words of beautiful truth. And that's what happens when we get our mind on God. Our mind goes back to truth and not just the immediate concerns around us. It makes us think about God and the truth of who he is. And we hear these words from his prayer, Lord God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are God. Enthroned above the cherubim, meaning the Ark of the Covenant, the place where we meet with God, the place where mercy is given. You are the God of Israel. I personally think that's significant because he didn't just say you are the God of Judah. Israel's already forsaken you. He said, no, you are the God of Israel. You are not just my God, you are our God. When we pray, the first thing we need to remember is who we are praying to. The most important thing we can know is the character of our God and that we belong to him. 
He goes on to say, so that you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made the heavens and the earth. In other words, Lord, you're not just my God and you're not just our God, you are everyone's God. Sennacherib, he doesn't think you're a God, he thinks you're nothing, but you're his God. He's the one that's deceived, he doesn't know what's happening. He thinks that he's defeating you, but he's not. You're God over him. That's the truth, and we need to remember that. The true power structure of the whole universe is that there is one God, and there is nothing that happens in this world that isn't under his control. So when I'm in a situation, I just think, man, this is all going out of hand. I just need to remember, but it's not out of God's hand. Lord, help me to surrender to you. Help me to trust you. Your ways are far above my ways. I might not understand what's taking place, but I can trust that you are in control. I can trust that you are good. I can trust that I belong to you. Help me to trust you no matter what the circumstances look like. So in temptation, here's a question. What truth should I recall to help me trust God? This is very specific for each of you. You have different temptations that you face regularly. Are you intentionally preparing for the next time that temptation comes by instilling the truth of God in you? And not just a pet verse that you like, but something about the character of God that you just, you go to God and say, Lord, this is how I'm feeling, but this is who you are. I need you to change my emotions to reflect reality, because right now they don't. Hezekiah continues his prayer and says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Incline your ear. Open your eyes and see. Hezekiah knew that God was with him. Not just far off. And he just asks of God what God says he wants to do already. Abide with me. I am with you. I am there to care for you. I am your good shepherd. He's just saying, Lord, that's what I want. I want to know you're present. And I'm asking you to be. Again, it's a promise of God and he's just claiming that promise. Be here. And then he remembers that this situation isn't what it looks like at first. I, I'm thinking that it's all about the king attacking me. That's what I get stuck up on. Lord, what's happening to me? What am I to do? But the real issue here is the king of Assyria is mocking you. He's mocking you. This is far above my pay grade. This, I, I get stuck about me, but Lord, this is about you and your glory. May that be the focus of my prayer, that you are glorified, that you are magnified, that you do what needs to be done for the nations to know that you exist for you to be glorified. The verse, his prayer goes on, truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria has laid waste to the nations and their lands. So Hezekiah in his prayer does not underestimate what the king has done. He has done devastating things. Everywhere he goes, it's destruction and he's victorious. For about 46,000 walled cities, are estimated that he took over. 46,000 walled cities. Over 200,000 people he's estimated to have taken captive during his reign. That's a lot of destruction. He did those things. You can't deny that he did those things. But we also just need to remember there's always a battle between perception 
and reality. So here the king, he's done those things, but he gives himself the glory. He says, I did it in my own strength, in my own way. No one can stop me. But in reality, we know from scripture that it, God did those things and allowed the king to do them. He used that king as an instrument of discipline against Israel. That was God's plan. My people have gone astray. They're worshiping worthless idols. He sends someone to discipline them. So the king did do, do, did do those things, but he gave himself credit. He didn't think about, oh, God's using me. He didn't have that awareness. But God says, no, no, I'm the one in control. Don't give yourself credit for something that I've done. And the king would pay the price for that, the, that pride later on. You know, this image, I just have to tell you, I crop images all the time to just put in here. The, the bottom of this image says, perception versus reality. And then it says, you choose your reality. Really? Is that where we've come to? You choose your reality. You can choose your perception, but you can't choose what's true. You can't choose what's actually happening. That's why we need to go to God for truth, because I get it wrong all the time when I listen to different sources telling me what's happening. I need to abide with God. I need to hear truth from him. His prayer goes on that he's taken over those lands. He's cast their gods into the fire. But this is key. He cast their gods into the fire. But they're not gods. They're just work of man's hands. They're wood and stone. And that's why they were destroyed. They're nothing, in other words. That's hugely important to know. That Hezekiah, or king, king of Assyria, all you've been doing is battling humans. You have never battled God. And believe me, you're going to lose when you battle God. That's an absolute truth. There is no one that comes close to threatening God. God is always victorious. And we need to be reminded of truth. And when we're reminded of truth, it should help us to trust. And the same thing. Sometimes when I'm struggling with the truth, I need to think about trust. Who do I trust? Why have I trusted him? How has he proven faithful before? So he says this, I don't quite understand. I don't even right now feel that I agree. But if God says so, I'm going to believe that what he says is true. And also that it's good. So I'm going to lean into that. So a few questions for us today. How does trust impact your willingness to seek the truth? In your life, in your walk with God, how has trust impacted your will willingness to seek the truth. Because if you don't trust in the goodness of someone, you might not want to know the truth. Especially of your own spiritual walk with God. Because each of us are forgiven of our sins, but you will only grow in your gratitude of that if you understand the depth of your sin without Christ. And that's a very hard road to go down. It's a very humbling road to go down. And you need to trust that you are covered in the grace and the goodness of God in order to be able to see who you are without him. And then to be reminded of now who you are with him. But every time I don't trust, I go by default to this way of living. It doesn't change my identity once I'm in Christ, but it changes the impact of my life. Another question, how does truth impact your ability to trust? Are you taking time in your life to build your knowledge of truth? If you're not doing that, your trust in God is going to be very superficial. It will waver a lot. 
we need to be seeking truth. So if you're having trouble trusting, you need to remember the truth. In order to remember it, you need to have it implanted in your heart. I can't overstate how important it is that each of you, myself included, take time with God in his word in a regular, ongoing way. If that's not part of your life, make it part of your life. It's so important, first of all, just to learn to abide with God, to enjoy him. That should be the first thing, is Lord, I, if you're so great, I want to know you. I want to abide with you. I want to be like you. How are you going to be like God if you don't know who he is and the way he's described himself? And then take time to study. When things come up at work or in conversations with friends and you're wondering, I don't know what the Christian view is on this. I don't know what God's word is on this. Christian view is way too broad of a statement. I don't know what God's view is on this. I need to humbly open up the word and say, Lord, please give me wisdom. And I know if I ask without doubting, you will gladly give it to me without reproach. You won't say, Doug, why weren't you here a year ago? This has been an issue for a long time. Why weren't you asking before? God will be gracious. He will meet you. And he says, let's grow together. Grow in me. I want you to grow closer to me and I want you to become more like me. So praying in truth Praying and trust should also lead us to truth. And the last thing is trust and triumph. When you know the truth again, we know that we're living in the triumph of God. Hezekiah continues, Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Can I ask you this? I ask myself this. Just so you know, when I ask you questions, it's because I ask them of myself first. Uh, that, that's just the way it works. So this is a question I ask myself. Why do I pray and ask for help? Honestly, like, don't think about the Sunday school answer. When I think about my daily life and I think about the times I turn to God, what's the primary reason I'm doing it? Is it because I need protection? Is it maybe because I need peace? I'm anxious right now? Is it Prosperity, do I want to have pleasure? Do I want to see different goodness in my life from material things? Do I want purpose? Now, all those things are good. But they can become idols when that's our focus in prayer. That's my key desire, Lord, is that. Yeah, may your will be done. But that's what I want. It's sort of like we've got our own snake on a pole. <laughs> God promises to be our purpose. He promises to be our peace. And we're starting to worship those things rather than the person who gives us those things. So why do I pursue God? Just in this little verse, we see Hezek, uh, Nehemiah say, so that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Lord, may that be true more and more of my life, that the reason I pray and ask for help is because I want others to know you through my life. I don't care where they're from. I don't care what they've believed before. I just want them to know you. Because you deserve to be known. You love them. You came and died. You sent your son so that everyone could be saved. If only they'd turn to you. Lord, in this situation, I'm so caught up that I'm uncomfortable at work. Or I've had an unpleasant interaction with my neighbor. And I forget that the most important thing right now is that somehow you could be known in this situation. Lord, forgive me for my short-sightedness. Help me 
to think of you more than anyone and help me to think of others more than myself. Who would care if I get my way in this argument if that person will spend eternity apart from you? Does that really matter? That I won an argument, that I, I feel victorious, but that person now, I didn't, have, I didn't make use of the opportunity to show the grace and love of God to? That I didn't somehow allow the Holy Spirit to exude through me the fragrance of the life of Christ? The things that you're involved in every day might feel mundane, but if there's people around you, there's never a moment that's not, un, that's not important. Because God has placed you somewhere around people who probably don't know him. And you might be doing the most boring job, you might be having the worst day, but right beside you, if there's a person who doesn't know Christ, God says, love them as I've loved you. I want them to know me. I'm going to go back to that question that the king of Assyria said, on who do you base your trust? He was taunting Hezekiah, and he said, you know what? I'll make you a wager. I'm going to give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. But you can't even do that. You need help from Egypt. They're not going to help you. You guys are useless. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can find riders on them. Like he's just getting taunted. Hezekiah is just getting beaten. <laughs> and, and I hope, and I'm pretty sure these words were probably in his heart from Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I think Hezekiah would have been very honest with God. Lord, that's not always true. Not so long ago, I took all the silver out of my house in your temple. I stripped the walls of the gold because I was so scared of him. Lord, I'm starting to learn my lesson that that never goes well. Even if he had left me alone, it wouldn't have gone well because I dishonored you. I'm living in disgrace and shame. Lord, help me to believe. Help me to live out the truth that I trust in you more than anything, more than anyone else. And thank you for your patience in that journey with me. Because I fail all the time. And the Bible says a righteous person may fall seven times. That means you may fall continually over and over again. But God will pick you up. The key is a righteous person falls. A righteous person is only someone who has been able to submit their lives to Christ and say, Lord, in you I find my life. I keep looking elsewhere. But I want to be with you. I want my life to honor you. And when someone has done that, you've said, Lord, I want you as my Savior, my King. You are God. I am nothing without you. I am worthless without you. But you are everything. You have made me to be your child. You have made me in your image. You have promised me your Holy Spirit in me to make me more like Jesus until the day that I see him face to face. That's who I want to be in you. And I'm trusting that you will complete your work that you started in me. My effort is to abide with you and to trust you. Help me to stop trying to make myself righteous. Help me to be righteous because I belong to you and you live within me. Help me to trust you, God. And at the end of Hezekiah's prayer, it's beautiful to know that God responds. Thus says the Lord. Don't take for granted that we have the word of God 
You can hear the word of God when you open up, your, open up the Bible and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, help me to know you. Help me to understand you. When this is helping filter out the rest of life throughout the day, you can start recognizing the voice of God because of his character, the Holy Spirit's within you. It's a growing relationship. Don't take for granted that we have a God who's willing to speak to us, who desires to speak to us, who wants us to abide with him. And then God says to him, I've heard you. I was reading through Daniel the last couple of weeks and Daniel was in a similar circumstance where things were just going really bad. And he'd prayed a couple times and eventually when he got an answer that he could understand, the angel told him, from the moment you first prayed long ago, I heard and I've been answering. Don't doubt that God not only hears you, but that he responds and that he has an answer. And God says, paraphrase here, Hezekiah, don't worry, you've done the right thing. You've brought it to my care. And you need to know that I will defend this city and I will save it. Why? I will do it for my sake first of all, and I will also do it for the sake of my servant David. God is concerned about his own glory, not because he's a narcissist, but because he knows that he's the only source of life. He's the only thing that's good. Everything that's worthwhile comes out of him. There's nothing that exists that he didn't make. That's why he's focused on his glory. Because that's the only way you can have life is by knowing him. You look anywhere else, it's going to go bad. But you look to God and you recognize what he's made is all meant to help us know that there's a good God who loves you. He showers his common grace on you because he wants you to know that he exists. Faith in God includes faith in God's timing. Uh, I've been using the word trust in my life a lot more than faith when I talk to people. Instead of saying about faith in God, I talk about trust in God. For me, that's more of a relational connection, so it's not a right or a wrong, it's just what I choose. I say trust. So I'd be saying trust in God includes trust in his timing. So Hezekiah knows that God says, I'm taking care of things. He doesn't know what that's going to look like yet. And there was an immediate response. The next day, 185,000 soldiers were killed by the angel of the Lord. This is history. This isn't a fairy tale. This is what God says, I'm going to show the king who's king. I'm going to show the king of Assyria that he doesn't have the power he thinks he has. Angel of the Lord goes through and in one night kills 185,000 soldiers. The people wake up and all these people are dead around them. And they fled. They left. He went back to Nineveh. There's a second portion of, his, of this answer that Hezekiah wasn't aware of how this would take place. 10 or 20 years later, the king is now in his own temple, worshiping his own God, and his sons come and assassinate him with a sword. Done. I don't know what God's timing will be for the answers in your life, but I do know he has answers, and I do know that we need to trust him. And sometimes when an answer is delayed, we need to not give in to temptation and say, I'll take things into my own hands. We need to trust God that what he said he will do in his time and in his way. So like Hezekiah, do we trust God's will to be done in his timing and for his sake? Am I content with that? 
Am I content that when I bring something to God and I bring it, I don't have to repeat myself like a babbling fool over and over again. There are times, of course, I'm, I'm, I can go back to God and, and bring it to him, but I'm not supposed to think that there's some magic enchantment. The more I say it, the more he's going to do. The reason I pray often is because I need to be reminded of who I'm giving this to and who's going to be giving me the answer. So if you have trouble trusting, rest in the triumph of God. Remember what God has said he will do. That he's all about his own glory and also for the glory of his people. So that the world might know that he exists. And that's important for us as we come to communion today. There are some of us that have a vast different awareness of who God is based on how long we've journeyed with him. Some of you might say, I've never heard this story of Hezekiah before. I don't even know my Bible very well. I don't have a lot of basis to work from. Well, let me tell you the basis that you need to start from. It's knowing who Jesus Christ is. Knowing what he's done to make it possible for your sins to be forgiven and for you to have life with him. Our sins deserve death. All of us have sinned. I don't need to know the details of your sin. I know all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And none of us can pay the price because the price is our blood. The price is our life. So what you need to know today of all the Bible as a foundation to build upon is that God loves you so much and God's revealed himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God that has three persons. That's a mystery we have to accept. And he's revealed himself in that way. And he said, I created you. I love you. I've made you in my image. I've given you everlasting life so that you can be with me. And now you have the decision, is that everlasting life eventually going to be away from me, which would be hell? Or will it be with me, which would be heaven? And on earth, whether people recognize it or not, you have the common grace of God showering over you so that you might know God loves you. But when you die, the decision has already been made. If you said, no, I'm living life on my own, or no, I'm living life with God. And when you die, you will either have the best moment of your life, because you will have no sin, and you will be free in your relationship with God and all other people, or you will realize that the God who loves you so deeply, you have rejected your whole life. And every good thing that you ever had that you might have given yourself credit for someone else, God was really the one who deserved credit and you never gave it to him. Christ died for our sins. Jesus died and he rose again. So the Bible tells us he went to a cross. He was treated like a criminal. He shed his blood in our place. He died and for three days he was buried. On the third day, God his father, the son said, raised again because he was not just man, he was fully God. Again, these are mysteries that we need to just accept to be true. And not only did he raise from the dead, the Bible tells us that he ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of God and that he's going to come back again in the same way that he left. Someday there is a future with God that is hard to imagine that it could be true. But he will, he will be our king with no other competition and we will joyfully be his children. <laughs> that's the future that's in front of us. And we need to know that. So this Sunday is we take time to celebrate communion and we do that by having a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ that he actually can relate to us because he became human. He, he lived a life and he suffered for us and we take juice, wine to represent the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood that, 
that symbolizes the covenant that we can enter into with God. So I'm going to give you a few moments now to just, if you're at home, to go get what you need for us to have communion together. And I want to just remind you today that as we think about Hezekiah, that I'd hope that we can remember that praying in trust can do a number of things for us. First of all, it can help us to resist temptation. It can help us to remember the truth. And it, help, it can help us to rest in the triumph of God. So Diane's going to bless us with some music as we just prepare our hearts to have communion. And I'd ask that you think about those things and just invite God right now, again, just to surrender, surrender to God and thank him for what he's done. Jesus was having supper with his disciples and during the meal he broke the bread and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. And then he took the wine, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Every time you drink of this, remember me, remember what I've done for you. Let's do that together as well. Lord, thank you so much for the sacrifice you made on our behalf. Lord, in our times of temptation, may we trust you. Lord, when we're struggling with truth, may we trust you and abide with you. And Lord, when we're wondering about triumph and about victory in life, may we also trust that you are in control and sovereign over all things. Thank you for allowing us to be your children. Help us to abide with you and honor you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you so much for this time that we've had together today and that you have the truth and that you want to share your truth with us so that we can be rooted in you. Um, I pray that you would be with us as we go from here and today and in the rest of our week. In Jesus' name, amen.
have a great rest of your day.